You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Sunday, September 4th, although only barely, and this is your host, Stephen Novella. Joining me this week are Bob Novella. Hey, everybody. Tara Santa Maria. Howdy. Jay Novella. Adam, I mean, Evan Bernstein. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) And we have a special guest for this episode, Ian Harris. Yes. (laughs) Ian, welcome to The Skeptic's Sky. Tell us a little bit about yourself to get us started. Oh, sure. Um, Well, I'm a a comedian and skeptic and a skeptic comedian. That's pretty much all I do. Because you're a skeptic and a comedian at the same time. Yes, I try to be. Um, Well, I, I sometimes one... Sometimes I'm a comedian, and sometimes I'm a skeptic, and they don't laugh. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes I'm, uh, they laugh at being me being skeptical. But no, it's, I, I try to infuse skepticism and uh, critical thinking into my comedy. That's my yeah. entire thing. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it, there's a lot to make fun of on the other side, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, what, except for you, be well, you probably wouldn't be surprised because you do this, but um, <laughs> the mainstream, they, it, you know, because I do mainstream comedy, I've done it for twenty, yeah. almost twenty-four years. It's a touchy it's a area to walk because yeah. they, you, no matter what you do, you, you kind of piss somebody off on every show. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't care what, like, I don't care if, they're, if it's religion or if it's, uh, there's some belief they have that I find somebody that, I, that, that gets angry with me every show. Or, or that has to, you know, have a discussion with me about, well, right. you know, well, you know, really Bigfoot. Okay, dude. But then you know, you know you're doing it correctly then. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> What's the worst thing that's happened to you? Yeah, I had, um, well, I had a lady, not the, I've had a lot of weird things happen to me, but the one that I think was really pretty funny is I was in Seattle and this lady came up to me after the show and, uh, she said, so am I supposed to understand from your act that you don't think, um, science and religion are compatible? And I said, well, no, I, I wouldn't say that, but why? Why do you say that? She said, well, I'm a scientist and I'm religious. And I said, oh, that's fine. And then she started going into, so you know that all the studies that we've done show that prayer works and that the earth is 6,000 years old. And and I'm like, what? I thought maybe she was actually yeah. a legitimate scientist. who and She so, was doing a comedy routine. She must have been doing like, Oh, you're a shitty scientist. <laughs> oh, but her, and her, she goes, this is my husband. He's an atheist, too. And he goes, I am, and he was from Israel. He goes, I am a secular Jewish person. I'm not an atheist. She goes, he's like you. And he's in the back behind. And he's behind me oh going, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, I'm not even kidding you. It was two hours oh, of her talking. No. And I'm trying to be nice. And then eventually I just let the floodgates go. And I started going off. And and, uh, yeah. um, and then finally the guy cleaning up <laughs> came over. And he goes, lady, get the hell out of here. <laughs> and she like walked out. And that was it. And then, yeah, it, well. was, it was two hours of her like just, just trying to convince me that that... All the studies show that prayer works. Yeah, yeah, that so was her that was sacred cow. That was her thing that that she had to believe. Yeah. yeah, and it was and it was just, but it was she was a scientist, and I. You what know. kind of scientist do you remember? It's not really yeah. that it's relevant. Christian scientist. Christian scientist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but I, I get I get that a lot. I get I get a lot of people who who will find one thing and they I hated you and and then I yeah. do you know you did oh you didn't like this no oh that part was funny what about this oh no that part was funny. 
Oh, what about this? Oh no, that part was funny. So what part didn't you like? And then it's, yeah. I find it's one one joke that I did yeah, that yeah. they just cow. thought I was yeah, talking yeah. to them directly. And yeah, exactly. every show. It's like counting the hits and ignoring the misses in a way. It's yeah. sort of yeah, along, exactly. along those lines. Yeah, they remember the one thing that pissed them off. Right. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah, we get that a lot too. We get you know, we get a lot of emails. We read all the emails for all really useful feedback about our show, and I pay close attention to it. But a lot of it, you could tell, they're zeroing in on one thing. And then their assessments, you guys always do this one thing that I don't like. It's like, actually, we almost never do that. <laughs> and sometimes I could even count. Like, it's something, it's something objective that I could, like, count it up and say, actually, we do that 1% of the time. Right. Um, so it's not all the time. But that, it shows you how easily their, their perceptions are skewered. You right. know, or skewed mm-hmm. and skewed <laughs> yeah. by you know by it's confirmation bias. Right? They, right. they that one thing bothers them, so they notice it every time it happens, yeah. and a yeah. totally distorted view yeah. of how much of our show it, it actually comprises. A friend of ours that said, "I'll never forget this." He said, "Oh yeah, I mean, everything out there is bullshit except that voodoo." <laughs> that's the one you the one thing you pick right. that you're holding on to is freaking voodoo that voodoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's gotta be that voodoo <laughs> yeah it, it's it's funny though because everybody has their, their little pet thing but i've noticed that it's for some reason it, you know i can be on stage and talking about something that's not a belief Necessarily, like I can be up there and make fun of whatever uh, rednecks, and rednecks come to me like, "Yeah, I, I'm just like that," yeah. you know, and they think it's hilarious. Yeah. But if I touch on something that they believe at their core, yeah. mm-hmm. even if it's not religion, even if it's again, if it's something like Bigfoot or astrology or something, and I say, and I, and they really believe it at their core, they cannot laugh about it. Yeah. And it's just it, it, it's all of a sudden it's they're, they're the whole time they're waiting for me to, yeah, you know, yeah. I had a guy wait for me cool. from the entire show. Because my first joke was a Trump joke, and he waited to the end to go to come up to me and go, so uh, uh, so you, so you don't like Trump? <laughs> wow, really? You, he wanted to leave, and you could see his his wife or girlfriend was going sit down, and he was just this for, for an hour. Yeah. yeah. So he could come up to me and tell me that you know, and then he tried to be funny. He goes, "Would you sleep with Donald Trump if it kept him from becoming president?" I was like, really? That you waited an hour to ask me if I was <laughs> that was his like, comeback. Yeah, that was yeah. his fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you, but you would. <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah, you, people are when it, when you start touching. I guess that's why race, race, religion, beliefs, anything in that in that. Don't talk era. about it Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, we've we've interviewed like other comedians and whatnot. I think it was Matt Stone who said you could get away with. That insulting people in the exact proportion of how funny you are. So <laughs> as long as long as you're funny, you could you that's like a blank check. But you got to know if the joke, or even in an individual joke, that joke is it was okay if it's funny enough. Doesn't matter how irreverent right, yeah. or insulting or whatever it is. So, yeah. but I can, it's totally challenging. But then I think like George Carlin's a great example. I mean, George Carlin, obviously, the right. master comedian, but he, uh, towards the end, especially of his career, like he took the gloves off. Oh, he yeah, went, yeah, yeah. No whole, I mean, he was really, yeah, he ridiculed religion and belief. And I thought it was hilarious. So, right. but I, it <laughs> seemed that he got away with it, like with the crowd. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I wonder, I, I really wonder, um, I met him a few times. I, I really want, never really? asked him. I really wonder how much, he got, I mean, obviously the internets, they can, nowadays they can find you. Back in his day, they would have to send him a letter, I guess, or whatever. But uh, I get, specifically, I have a bit about alternative medicine. And um, it's just this 
this long five seven minute bit about about lots of things in alternative medicine but but the one the one main thing is is me kind of debunking i hate that word but you um this idea that the big pharma is keeping down the cures for everything yeah. mm-hmm. and cancer specifically like oh there's a cure for cancer and they're paying off millions of people you know every year to <laughs> yeah, shut up about the cure for cancer that. and because you know yeah because they make a gazillion dollars a minute on the treatment or whatever so i have this joke about it and i've twice now um received books uh once an an e-book and yeah. once a physical book from somebody who heard me on the radio on like Sirius XM or whatever, some sort of thing that they heard me on the radio, that bit specifically found me and sent me something to, uh, that, that they either had written or that they read. And then, uh, so twice actual books and then several other times emails showing me how wrong you were. How wrong yeah. I was with the cure for cancer. You piss a lot of then, people off. Yeah. And I, I was like, wow, you Good sent job. me a book. Yeah. That's crazy. You yeah. know, and, or would you please read this because you're wrong? Mm. It's, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I wonder. I, uh, I, wonder if I get it. those too, you know, because no, I have thousands of you know blogs online, and people find them, and then they write me, or they sue us, yeah, yes. you know, yeah, occasionally <laughs> sue us. Yeah, but it's, uh, it, what's amazing to me, though, I'll get this long ranting email of you know criticizing me for defending science and medicine, <laughs> and it's full of it's like cookie cutter bullshit. You know, it's like right. this person there's not an original thought. In the entire email, it's like this, somebody downloaded, you know, anti-science propaganda into this person, right. and they're regurgitating it. You know, they're vomiting it forward as if it's somehow insightful, and then they're accusing me of like being a tool. Yeah. Like, Dude, really? You don't realize that you are a tool of anti-science propaganda. Yes. You just regurgitated. I've I've received a million emails with these exact arguments. Right. They have no basis <laughs> in reality. Like plagiarized. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> Do you know this person because you copied his email? Yeah. <laughs> it's a, but yeah. they think that they're so insightful and right. they don't realize how programmed they are. Yep. Yeah. That's just yeah. programmed BS that you're regurgitating. That. Yeah, it's I, really I, yeah. sad. I think it's and and the weird thing to me is is I say you realize you you heard a five minute comedy routine (laughs) on the radio it's not like i'm selling anything but it was actually you know they say never read your reviews but i i I accidentally saw Uh i was i was clicking on i was was trying to accidentally googled myself (laughs) i was on like somewhere everything i was trying to send somebody a link to to watch something right so i went to like copy the thing and the first thing somebody had same exact bit the, the uh the alternative medicine bit and I saw this and I went, what is this? And I started reading it. Bad news. The, the guy was, uh, saying how he loved me and he was, gr- it was great. And he, I'm still going to give him five stars because I thought he was funny. But this one bit about alternative medicine, he's obviously been paid. Yeah, been paid off. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh my God. <laughs> so you're, where's you're, the check guy? You're, you're, you're yeah, right? no for where that is joke. the money? For that right? one joke. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, Big Pharma. They called me up. That joke <laughs> that I'm going to say for you, that's going to cost you 50 bucks. Yeah. Right? They actually called me ahead of time. They said, look, we really need you to write a joke. Yeah. To to yeah, to quell the fears yeah, of the right. public. And now you get residuals in the mail that are signed by Big Pharma. <laughs> 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 like every few it's weeks. B, it is just BP. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> BP. You know what I love telling people whenever that comes up? I'm like, do you know what car I'm? F-
driving. <laughs> if I'm a shill, I'm clearly taking it all the way because I, I, you know, like just just watch, look at the clothes I wear, look where I live, and look at the car I drive. Like, what am I doing with all the money? You got all your money tied up in cash. Yeah. <laughs> the shittiest shill ever. I'll take four dollars for that. That's the, that's the way to look at it. That's that's their go-to though, right? Yeah, it's like right. it's amazing how quickly people assume that you're paid for what because right. you just how could nobody could have that opinion. So you must be a paid show. Well, that, that's the thing that kills me, especially with the, which is kind of what my joke is about. The thing about the, the cancer thing is, what would it take for me to be quiet about the cure for cancer? <laughs> and I'm like, there's not enough money to buy me off. And I think to myself, well, maybe that's because I'm not a Republican. And, um, <laughs> no, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. I really don't know what, like, how much money would it take me to, to be, yeah. you know, and then I think, how many world. people would they have to pay off? Yeah. And it's like the numbers. I mean, just right. it's ridiculous. And and I think, how do you? How do they? How does anyone not just think of that one basic? Oh, you know what? They'd probably have to pay off at least several thousand people worldwide, and and each one of them would cost several hundred million dollars because it's freaking cancer. Yeah. It's yeah. not like you know. We covered that on the show, right? That those calculations of like how it collapses quiet. within moments. Yeah. Yes, right. within right. moments. Yeah. How many people would have to be yeah. quiet? Two seconds. Yeah. It's it's and, and, and no matter what, no matter how many times you point that out, they just no. same kind of a. As Steve said, they're they're, they're programmed. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. They're, they're not they're thinking too this. deep. This actually segues nicely into the first news item I want to talk about, uh, which is about GMOs or genetically modified organisms. There are two actual stories to do with this, but they both have in common this notion that people can invent their own reality. And it's amazing how they can do that. They can just manufacture the, the, their own reality to fit their ideology. So the first one, and I've, we've talked about GMOs a few times on the show. I've been writing about it a lot. It's really, I think, a big issue for the skeptical community to face because I think it's one where the disconnect, in fact, it is the issue where the disconnect between public understanding and opinion and scientific knowledge is the greatest, at least in, you know, Surveys show that's that's the issue, even more so than things like global warming and even evolution. Um, so, th so that we have our job cut out for us. So, one small aspect of this whole GMO story is um, happening in Bangladesh. the The government, in you know cooperation with uh, universities, uh, have been researching how to make a BT version of of various cultivars of brinjal. Brinjal is their word for eggplant. That's a staple. It, what is BT? What do you say BT? So BT is um, a uh, a pest. It's, it's a pesticide, right? Okay. So it occurs naturally in bacteria. It produces it. So they were able to take the gene from the bacteria, put it in certain plants. So there's BT corn, there's BT cotton, um, and there's, now there's BT brinjal. So the plants are growing it themselves. They're making. They're producing the pesticide themselves. And, and plants do. Don't some plant varieties actually do ha produce their own BT? It's just in yes. such low quantities. It's not yeah. as you know. But, so yeah. all Functional. plants produce pesticides, yeah. right? And in fact, 99.999% of the pesticides that will ever work their way into your body were produced naturally in plants. Not in any, not added by people, not not genetically modified. That's just the world, right? That's how plants survive. Yeah, they otherwise evolve. they die. <laughs> yeah, they evolve to protect themselves against. It's, a, it's literally a war going on, you know, between pests and and, and plants. Um, but you know, we, when we farm, though, it's like here's you know acres and acres and acres of the same plant. So it's like an invitation, you know, for pests to come in and adapt to that new food source. And you know, pests and crops have sort of co-evolved as, as, as along with weeds, etc. 
So there's a you know the root bore um, is one particular pest that can wipe out forty percent, pretty much on average, about forty percent of the brindle crop will be wiped out by uh, by the root bore. And farmers have to spray a couple of times a week. They say about 140 to 180 times. They will have to spray pesticide on their brinjal crop just to keep you know, the, the the damage down to 40 percent. What's brinjal? It's eggplant. 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 Why don't you say eggplant then? Because, because that's, that's what they call it. That's what they call it. See, this is a typical scientist, right? <laughs> he knows that everybody in the goddamn room knows what the word eggplant means. <laughs> but you have to use a brinjal plant. And typical Jay wasn't listening when he already defined what brinjal was. <laughs> he did not say yes, that. Yes, he did. It's very, it's Late. <laughs> I was sitting out there for like an hour. Right, but I'm a good scientist. I said, brinjal, which is eggplant. I use the technical term and then I explain it. Well, so, so how much are you getting paid by big brinjal? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Monsanto, man. Yeah. There's a guy right outside right, there. Steve, if they, u- if they use the pesticide and lose 40%, what would they lose without pesticide? Oh, the whole crop. The I mean, whole yeah, thing. It would just it would be... Yeah, that's how bad it is. So, wow. so I, lo- a- I love brinjal parmesan. Yeah, brinjal parmesan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, a Bangladeshi delicacy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this is a big deal. Now they have four cultivars of brinjal with that cultivar J is like one specific <laughs> variety of a crop. Yes. That's cult- yeah, right. Cult? Yeah. Cult- cultivation, cultivar. cultivar. Thank you. Yeah, right. So they're, they're giving it to farmers to test it out. It's, it's already gone through field testing. It's actually approved for use. So they're saying they're just giving it to farmers for free. And the farmers love it. It's great. So they, first of all, they're, it's reduced their pesticide applications by 80%. Wow. More than 80%, 80% reduction. And they have almost no loss of crop. Their re- crop reduction is down to almost nothing. There are still other things that can happen to plants. If you water it too much, you can get some wilt and it produces a bacteria. There's other other uh, pests that they have to spray for, um, but the main pest is taken care of, which is, so it's fantastic. They love it. Their their profits are up. You know, they don't. They're spraying is way way down. It's win win all. And it's all better around. for the environment when they don't have. Of to course, spray. It's better for them yeah. for their health. Better the, for the for environment. the groundwater. Yeah. And again, this is their staple crop, right? This is not just something nice to have. This is like what they're what they're living off of. So this is a home run for genetic modification, right? For GM crops, there's no corporate profit involved. There's, you know, no decreases pesticide use. You know, there's no frankenfood here at all. This is pretty much, you know, a win-win scenario. So, of course, the anti-GMO crowd can't just sit by and let this happen because this ruins their narrative, right? Their narrative is about that the farmers are supposed to hate this and it's supposed to be for corporate profit and it's supposed to be bad for the environment and bad for your health. And none of those things are happening. So, but that's not their reality, right? That's not their narrative. So they have to now reinvent reality to fit their narrative. So when the stories of how wonderful everything was going were starting to come back and and there were science programs and reporters reporting on how wonderful this is all working out, they actually, some uh, dedicated anti-GMO activists went to Bangladesh posing as reporters to sort of interview the the farmers. And then they come back telling stories like, oh, it's all, they got it all wrong. The farmers hate it. Their crops are failing. The BT doesn't work. They're still getting destroyed by... Or, meanwhile, they're also telling the farmers, "Oh yeah, this brin- don't eat the brinjal; it causes birth defects and makes you sterile." And is so they're basically going in there, they're lying to the farmers, and then they're lying to everybody else on the outside. Yeah. So the the the, the, the reporters who did the original stories, like, wait, the, that's not what we found when we went there. So they went <laughs> back and they interviewed the farmers on video, so you could watch the video of the farmers. You know, of course, you could think that they're all being paid off. You know, it's all right. bullshit, but whatever. The the, the farmers are like. Um, 
No, I mean, so the, yeah, this reporter showed up and was asking me about my plants, and, and they asked about the plants that were dying, and I explained to them those ones had already produced, and they were at the end of their lifespan, and that's what happens at the end. <laughs> you know, after they've already produced, they will die. And, you know, so they, they, they interpreted the plants that were dying a natural death as failed crops, which is just not true. And then they were pointing at the plants that where the root borers were were invading them and destroying the crops. And yeah, those were our control plants. Those are not BT. <laughs> oh my God. Plants. Uh, but they interpreted that as a failure of the BT. Yeah. So. So not so good at science. No, not so good. <laughs> so, but, I mean, but you wonder though, like, so did they know that they were completely getting the story wrong or they were just seeing what they wanted to see? Yeah. yeah. Yes and yes. Yeah. So it probably has yes, a weird combination of those two things. Hard to really parse that apart. But. They come now, but they now have their story to tell that fits their mm-hmm. narrative, and so you know that if you're an anti part of the anti-GMO crowd and you look it up, you go, "Oh, but this guy says that it's failing, and the farmers are unhappy, and it's not working anyway, and the plants are dying." It's going to get legs, and, yeah, and, and well, it doesn't. It's just it, fe- it feeds their community. It's like when you talk to an anti-vaxxer, they are full of misinformation, but that's the information that's going around their community. That's their narrative. It's yeah. just they're building their alternate reality, yeah. and it doesn't matter what the facts on the ground no. are. Yeah. It's amazing. All right, so the other story. Actually, is it this morning or yesterday morning? I got an email from one of our listeners. I thought they were actually advocating this story, but then it turns out they were just, oh no, I don't believe that. I was just making sure you guys saw this. So it's another, it's a similar situation where, um, there are articles going around the anti-GMO, you know, websites like Organics and GM Watch and Right to Know and all these websites that, uh, the story is the GMO that almost ended the world. Okay. Yep. I haven't heard that one. Wait, so this this brindle crop... This is a different story oh, entirely. Different. Okay, so we're off, to, we're off that. Yeah. I'm just Wednesday. checking. Well played. Now, if an eggplant was going to ruin the world, I think I would have heard about yeah. this. Yeah. All right, so here's the story. And it, it didn't take me long to deconstruct this story. You know, I always like this... When I reply, say, it took me five minutes to find that this was total BS. But anyway, the, the story is that a European company was researching a, bac- a soil bacteria, Klebsiella planticola. That's a planticola. Yeah. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> now we know who's behind it. Yeah, Klebsiella planticola. <laughs> it's a root bacteria, right? So it, li- it lives on the roots of plants, and it, and it it's, lives symbiotically with the plants. So they, they came up with a good idea. It's like, okay, so we're going to... U- you know, uh, insert a gene into this Klebsiella to convert some of the plant um, cellulose or whatever into ethanol, and then we so we could then take the the dying plants and then turn them into biofuels. Right? Sounds good. So um, then another scientist did a did a small like pilot study where they put the you know the bacteria uh, in wheat. I think it was wheat and a couple other plants, and the bacteria produced ethanol in the soil to toxic levels and killed the plants. Didn't work. Didn't well. That that at least that particular they did the study actually wasn't designed to really test the effect of the bacteria so much as like how it should be studied. Like it was just creating a paradigm for studying the effects of the of the bacteria. A pilot pilot study. Right, but somehow an environmental group got a hold of the scientists and then they gave testimony before like the New Zealand whatever, and their testimony was that this bacteria was about to be field tested. And if it had been field tested, it would have gotten out into the world and killed every plant on Earth. <laughs> Jesus. 
There's some plants that don't grow in soil. Well, she did say terrestrial. I see. Okay, she was clear about that. Terrestrial. I'm not going to overstate the plants. Every terrestrial plant on Earth will be dead. Okay, so that seems to be going a little bit beyond the evidence, just a little bit. A little hyperbole. So what I, what I found was um, her apology for misinforming, the, you know, giving bad testimony, you know, before this New Zealand Council. Um, essentially, she cited a paper that hadn't been published. That's a no-no. She also incorrectly said that the bacteria was being field tested, and that was incorrect. It had not yet been approved for field testing. Uh, and she also said, and... You know, I, I really can't say from my study that it would have destroyed every terrestrial planet on the Earth. So, other than that, it was totally yeah. 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 Other than that, yeah. so never mind everything I yeah, said. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Strike it from the record. Right, but it's too late. Too late. This is me now. Out. Is the GMO that almost destroyed the world is now out there? Right. It reminds it's, me of like when when you are watching court proceedings and somebody said like a witness says something and then there's an objection Strike and then the they record. have to and it's basically like jurors you will not y- use any of that and it's like you can't unhear <laughs> yeah, it yeah. like how do you just not factor what you just, just heard yeah, yeah, yeah when a judge yeah. says strike that I always think that's such bullshit. I know because the because the lawyers use that. They use it. They, they know oh, they'll that intentionally they're... make an objection because yeah. they know it's a worm in your head yeah. now. Yeah. Or they they say something they know is going to be objected to. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. That's right to get it. Yeah. 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 So I mean, and I've been in right. courtrooms where lawyers have said something like that, and then the 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 other attorney says, "I object," and before the judge has said anything, I'll strike it. Like, I've already put that bug in the jurors' ears, yeah. and now That's I don't right. care. I don't want it actually on the record. They need a time yeah. delay, like radio, I, I, yeah. like yeah. radio stations. Time delay. No, you got to buzz it before right. it gets to the jurors. So the jurors are like Seven in a big cage, delay. Yeah. and there's like a delay. That's actually really interesting, yeah. Bob. Like yeah. a three-minute time delay to the jurors that they can because they only let through what's been what's been approved yeah. by the judge. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because we know enough about psychology, we know That's enough about idea. skepticism to know that there's just no way that they're not going to use that information in there. So the thing is, in, right. in don't this, think about an elephant. Yeah, in this Shit. meme, <laughs> in this meme, yeah. right? It's a GMO, even though it's a bacteria, right, or a bacterium, yeah. the species. Okay, I totally get the idea that you shouldn't release a genetically modified like virus or bacteria into the wild without studying the crap out of it, right? I mean, yeah, that's there's they're very rapidly self-replicating, you know, infectious types of things, and. Yeah, that's, we have to think very carefully about releasing, sure. like, cert, like, they're like insects or another one. Like, before we release insects out into the world, into the yeah. wild, I would want to, you know, really be sure that they're not going to screw things up, right? Yeah, like the CRISPR mosquitoes, like yeah. the Zika, yeah, 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 yeah all that. that we would never do it, but I mean, that's, all right, that's a high level of concern and that the research would be high. Crops are really weak things, right? Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting because, the, the anti-GMO world, in the anti-GMO world, if, uh, if a rogue GMO crop gets out into the wild, it's gonna destroy nature. <laughs> oh, yeah. Monsanto's know? already doing that. They're infecting right. every Everything. field yes. with there's their this GM wheat. wheat and, I know, yeah. the wheat one that's coming. And then they're suing all it's of like, the yeah, farmers. Here, here, here. Do you realize how fragile crops are? They, they need to be babied by farmers. Except those 
weeds in my yard. <laughs> yeah, but they're not I can't get rid of. Right? <laughs> Monsanto weeds. Yeah. That's why. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. They should just take that, those crops and whatever's keeping them alive and put that, like, infuse that with, like, good crops. And, like, what they're doing. Yeah. That's what genetic yeah. modification is. <laughs> 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 oh, then I invented that shit 30 years too late. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not like, like they're, they're railing on, oh, like, this. <laughs> There's a little, there's like a few, you know, rogue GMO wheat plants that somehow the seeds got out and they're growing in a field that's going to destroy everything. It's like, this shit's not kudzu, you know what yeah. I mean? It's not going to, it's a crop. The things that, you know, we've made them to, to be nutritious and food, but not to like grow in the wild. They're really fairly gimped as far as that's concerned, you know? They're so, high maintenance. Yeah, they're yeah. high maintenance. Yeah, yeah well, absolutely. This, this is an example of not a failure of the scientific method here, but it's an example of it working. Obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. you, you, you pilot the pilot, you know, as it were. You have this little yeah. test. You show that maybe there are some things that are not probably what we had hoped for. Yeah. And then you move the other, on yeah. from yeah, yeah. there. So, yeah, this is a totally approach. Even if, even if uh, taken at face value, the, the story is not alarming at all. The science showed that there's an ish, potential issue here. We shouldn't be releasing this into the wild because it could kill plants. Fine. But actually, there was another study that they didn't, you know, cite in the scaremongering stories where, you know, the other scientists looking at the same bacteria found that in, when you combined it with the wild no. type bacteria, the plants didn't die. Which means this, the GMO bacteria wasn't competing against the wild type bacteria. So it's not going to take over the world. <laughs> Even if it got released out there, the, the, or the regular bacteria would have kicked its ass. Yeah. Because again, you know, the wild types, they're adapted to the environment. The stuff we're making in the lab is not super anything. It's but just there is different. always that assumption, right? That it's somehow it's, it's super. like a, yeah, yeah, like it's like, we've made it radioactive yeah. and it will kill anything in its path. And it's like, no, it just has like, one gene modified to make it slightly sweeter. Yeah. No, but right. it, that's, that is the Frankenfood <laughs> meme. That's the yeah. whole idea. It is basically exploiting the pro, the public programming from science fiction and superhero movies. The notion that you're a mutant, you're somehow super something. And then, so these things are going to take over the world yeah. and destroy the ecosystems. Like, no, they're just plants. They're just <laughs> plants, you know. But they're resistant to, to glyphosate. Yes, so what? You know, we're not throwing the stuff around. All that, all that natural glyphosate. Who cares? The one I always hear is, is but it's, they used a fish gene. Yeah. That's the one that's always. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's a fish made them. Why do they say fish? That, why is that so scary? Why is that the fear mongering gene? <laughs> yeah, like, I think because a it's fish gene is going to so make it foreign. stinky. It's not another yeah. plant. <laughs> Yeah, 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 like fish are kind of like. Gross. So first of all, we share how many genes with fish? That I mean, yeah, we, we share sixty percent of our 60. more. More, I think we share sixty percent of our genes with bananas. Yeah, right. Yeah. So <laughs> we share more than that seventy or something like that with fish. It's not a fish gene; it's a gene. Yeah. There's no difference. <laughs> right. It's a gene. Yeah. Yeah. But here, I'm made of the same four. We never, we never made the fish mado. It was just an idea that somebody had, <laughs> right? But so it was what was never it supposed to do? It was supposed to have omega-3 in it or something? No, it was cold tolerance. They were putting cold tolerance from a fish into a tomato so it wouldn't freeze in the fall or whatever, extend the growing season. It's actually a really good idea, yeah. and they should do it. But, you know, whatever, the fish mado, is that, that just became another <laughs> another meme within the anti-GMO community, community, even though it never existed. And it's not a bad idea anyway. And the whole right. idea that there are fish genes and tomato genes is bullshit. Well, and yeah. even if they're, yeah, the weird thing is, I remember reporting on some strawberries with Folta, with Kevin Folta down at his lab um, in Florida, and reporting on some um, 
some tomatoes, some strawberries, some peppers, and we were talking about the different uh, kind of experimental genetic modification that they were doing, mostly to um, resist certain types of pests. And they were finding that within the public consciousness, if you put like a pepper gene into a different kind of pepper, like this pepper has better resistance, so we're going to insert it into this other species of pepper, which doesn't have as good. And people are like, yeah, I'm generally okay with that. Yeah. But like you put a pepper gene in like a strawberry and they're like, it's going to make my strawberry spicy. Yeah. You know, it's like they just can't <laughs> fathom like, yeah. like two totally different organisms. I think like Steve's right, though. Is what really that, is, it's racism. Yeah. That, yeah. It's kind of like an artifact of our culture in a sense, yeah. like Steve was saying, because it really does seem like, you know, we've there's a million movies out there and books about like, you know, I just think of like uh, the fly, right? The movie yeah. The Fly, where the guy merges with the well, fly. It's the sci-fi. It's this. Yeah. It's this. It's the yeah. sci-fi. sci-fi. No, and, and when asked, most people thought that the fish tomato would taste like fish. Yeah. yeah. Of course. No, they didn't put the flavor genes in it. They put the gold. <laughs> <in it. laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Why would they do that? They wouldn't be able to sell. Now it. <laughs> you know that isn't that though all of all of the this stuff, the fear mongering, all of the anti-science sort of stuff, is it. it it's always kind of a big straw man where they everything is they are arguing with their own with themselves. Yeah, they, yeah. they make have up this the problem. crazy idea. It's like when you talk to people with evolution, it's like, well, I, I didn't do this and I didn't come from no monkey. But it's like, well, you, no one ever said any of that stuff. You're <laughs> arguing with your own you did. brain. Right. Like, yeah. You made you it up that. and then you deep. Like, this is going to happen and then no, it's wrong. And so, well, that's not how no one said that. And right. it's oh. every single time it's the same thing. They yeah. have no understanding of it, so they make it up. And then they, then they break down what they made up. Yeah, that's the it's definition right. of fighting that straw man. It's a spontaneous right. straw man. Yeah. You know, yeah. Jay, following up with what you said, this is like a societal thing. It's like a function somehow that's deep within us. I would urge all of you, when you go home, to do an image search. Like, doing journalism on GMOs is really interesting because you always have to tag your story with an image. And if you go to a stock photography website, like, like iStockphoto or Shutterstock, and you just put in GMO, the images that come they up. They have a ton of them. It's yeah. always like a tomato with a syringe. It's always in a it. syringe. Or yeah. like a head of cabbage with teeth. And you're like, what is that? Like, it's, well, it's and you know, you know the photographers like, like, like cabbage is real. Let's come up with two cabbage. I would buy that. I would buy that. It's never just like. Let's have you know, a big like dick growing out of this yeah. cabbage and see if people freak out. It's never like that it's never suck. a scientist with like a beaker because that's yeah. really what it is. Right. You know, it's like just. What's yeah. with the syringe though? I mean, like they're not injecting stuff into tomatoes. Tomatoes because it's provocative. That's why the dick should be coming out of the cabbage because it would solve newspapers. Why cabbage? Just trust me, I. Dick cabbage? I think Dick Mado sounds better. <laughs> Dick 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 oh, nice. Dick, Dick cabbage like sounds it. like Dick cabbage. <laughs> yes, of course. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but, I just, but he could, he, he could, free so he could endorse it. It's like an SNL where John Hamm was selling the John Hamm. It's like a roll of ham. Dick cabbage. John Hamm's John Hamm. Why is it that cleave to that sort of thing, to the emotional response, rather than cleaving to more evidence-based things? Why do people get drawn into that so so immediately? So why do people, why do why are people so concerned about the, or why do they have an emotional response first instead of thinking about the evidence? Because thinking is hard, right? And feeling is natural. I don't yeah. think they're taught to. And I think, yeah. I think it's not even thinking, because I know some people that actually, they think, they're, they're, they're thinkers and they're smart, intelligent people, but they've never been taught 
where good evidence comes from and how to acquire good evidence. So those people always end up being the crazy conspiracy yeah. theory people. Where they're asking questions and they've and they've kind of got this logical process going on, yeah. but all of their information came from some crazy website and they didn't they didn't check, exactly. fact check anything because exactly. no one ever taught them how to or or to fact check. And yeah. I think I think a lot of times it's just that it's just they 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 were well, well this is the facts I have and that's all I know. We all we all know people and you know Jay Bob and I know several people like this who are. You know, armchair philosophers, right? So, this is, yeah, and, and it's hard to talk about this without coming off as elitist, but basically these are people who don't have a lot of a formal education, but they are curious, and, they, and they're interested in, you know, big ideas, and they want to participate in that, and they have their own ideas, uh, but they don't have the, I think, perspective or maybe the humility to realize that you can't just shoot from the hip, you know what I mean? You, yeah. uh, so... Sometimes, sometimes people just like you know we would yeah. be around at dinner and they would say, "Yeah, I always wondered about this," and they would have some half baked crazy ideas, and that, that's fine. We we could talk about that. But then there are people who like write a book. You know, like, <laughs> like we know some guy who wrote a book. He had this wacky theory about how all of the Bible was actually influenced by aliens, and he had this really convoluted chain of evidence of how the Taj Mahal is a spaceship and then you know it's like Wait, really it's weird yeah, stuff. It's not like a comedy book though. No, no. it's dead serious. <laughs> dead serious. So like he took it yeah. to the next level. You know, where now he's not just like armchair philosophizing at the dinner table. He actually thought this was publishable and he published it. You know Yeah, but now he's an expert. Well, somebody else. Now he's an somebody expert. else he's like, well have you read so and so published book? it? Marvel <laughs> Comics? <laughs> Alright. Guys, are you aware that we made 1,200 plus hours of podcasts over the last 11 years. If all you did was listen to our podcast when you were at work, it would take 30 weeks to hear them all. Wow. And we have covered about 3,003 news items. And we have five lightsabers. And no pseudoscientists were injured during the making of this show. Well, we hurt their feelings, I think. (laughs) Does that count? (laughs) Physical injury. We injured them. Mentally. <laughs> yeah, hey, if you like the SGU, which if you're listening to this, you probably do, then you can join us. As SGU member, you will be supporting our efforts to make the world a more skeptical place. You get a discount at Nexus, our annual science conference, and you get first dibs on tickets for any SGU events. And if you are a premium member, you get access to all of our premium content. And you get an ad-free version of the podcast. Just go to theskepticsguide.org slash member-subscription or look for a link on our homepage. Kara, you're going yes. to tell us whether or not dogs can understand what we're saying to them. Yes. Because we, I know we certainly act as if they do. We do. Yeah. So anybody who's kind of been on Tay Interwebs this week has probably seen this story circulating about dogs in an fMRI scanner and dogs being able to understand human language. When I first saw it, I was losing my mind because a puppy in an MRI is like the cutest thing ever. Um, <laughs> and so I, I wanted to read more about it. It turns out that these neuroscientists in in Budapest in Hungary trained 13 different dogs to get an, F- an fMRI. We will talk about that later. Um, and they were interested specifically in <laughs> language func- uh, language processing. And so it was actually this week that their findings were published in Nature, a very big publication. Um, and the, the lead researcher, Attila Andix, he was particularly interested in exploring the difference between what we say 
and how we say it. So the meaning of the words and the intonation of the words. And in an effort to investigate both of those things, he built up a two-by-two two study design, which is very common, um, where in, in this paradigm, the dog's in the scanner, and then you have recordings of their trainer's voice either saying positive terms like, good boy, and either doing it in a sort of positive way, good boy, or in a very neutral way, good boy. And then you've got neutral terms like such as, which mean nothing. Um, in I don't either. know, that one um, beauty pageant contestant made That's a whole true. speech she did such, make a whole as, such as yeah. the Iraqs and the such, such as. Um, <laughs> and she win? The Iraqs. <laughs> the Iraqs. The Iraqs. So, and then the neutral term was also done in a such as and then such as. And they wanted to look at the brain of the dog during these different words. And there were, there were multiple. It wasn't just one thing. And did they do negative terms? They didn't. They only did positive and, and neutral. Hmm. So, so there's, no bad, there's no bad dog and there's no yelling. It was all positive and neutral. Yeah. And so here's what they found. They found that praise words showed activation in the left hemisphere of dogs, whether or not they were spoken with a positive intonation. Cool. So mm-hmm. good boy and good boy. Same. They saw activation in the left hemisphere. They saw that in the right hemisphere, in a region of uh, the dog brain specifically, which is called the middle ectosylvian gyrus, there was elevated activity that was uh, correlated with a neutral intonation, actually a lower voice, regardless of the meaning of the words. So whether they were positive words or neutral words, if they were said in a neutral way, they saw activation in this one specific part of the right hemisphere. And then they also found that the reward centers in the dog's brain only showed elevated activity when positive words were spoken with positive intonation. So because of that, actually before that, I should say, it's easy for to interpret these in a way that very much mirrors what we think about human language. And that's exactly what the study authors did. They said that because language um, processing is lateralized in most humans on the left side of the brain, the fact that the positive terms showed left side activation shows that they understood the positive words because that's where these words are processed in a human brain. And and they interpreted the right side to be reflective of our right hemispheres, which typically process like what we call prosody of language, like the emotional components of language. And there they were talking about the difference between this kind of talking and very neutral speaking. So dogs are really mimicking or mirroring the way that humans understand language. And because of that, you saw all sorts of ridiculous headlines coming out. You saw, I, I pulled some samples that are really great. Brain scan confirms dogs understand what you're saying and how you're saying it. That was a very common Mm-hmm. Headline that you see. MRI study shows that dogs understand vocabulary. <laughs> um, dogs can understand human speech, scientists discover. Your dog is too smart to be fooled by your fake happy voice. Um, and scientists prove dogs understand human words. Okay. Um, but is that really what they showed? When, when you look at some authors and some articles that take a more skeptical approach, you start to see some good arguments being made. Um, take Neuroskeptics blog for Discover Magazine, for example. He looks at these findings and he asks, well, if left lateralization occurs when the dogs hear positive words, regardless of intonation, could it not just be a simple function of the fact that dogs recognize those words? Because yeah. you don't go up to your dog ever and go, such as. You often walk <laughs> yeah. up your dog and you say, walkies? You want to go to walk? Mm-hmm. You want to go say and walk? Or you might say, you want to go on a walk, dude? Let's go on a walk. You might say it in different ways, but those are walkies? words. You say walkies? Yeah, walkies. 
Yeah, so you're saying that they just okay. have been trained over time to, to understand it. When you say you want to go for a walk, it means we're going, that yeah, you're physically going to take Maybe it's not an understanding of the language, the meaning of the language, but an association between those phonemes, yeah. those physical sounds, yeah. and a positive expectation. There's a recognition that those words are words that they hear quite often. It's just a repetition thing. Um, perhaps it's just straight classical conditioning like we all learned but about. But Kara, couldn't you say, though, at that point, if the dog knows when you say you want to go for a walk, mm-hmm. that that means leash goes on and we go outside, that he, right. the dog does understand what going for a walk is and therefore knows that the word means the activity. And so the question here is, how do we really fully define language? Is it a noise that represents an activity only or does it, is there deeper meaning to semantics? And what are we talking about when we say that dogs understand language? And that's really what I think most of these authors are trying to parse out. Are we talking about a handful of labels that represent a positive outcome for a dog? Or a handful of labels that simply re- um, represent recognition for a dog? It might not even have anything to do with it being a, posi- a positive outcome, but just a sound that's often heard and that then activated activity oh, okay. in the so brain, you know? What about, what about this? I saw, I mm-hmm. saw an interesting show that showed a, the smartest dog in the world. Mm-hmm. Supposed to be the smartest Uh-oh. dog. Here comes they, an anecdote. It's, a, I mean, <laughs> it's not Bob. Take it for what, whatever it yep. is, but it was impressive okay. from my point of view. They put like 200 objects in a room. Yes, I remember this. This right? is a Harvard dog, they, I think. They, they brought dog. the dog, get the cat toy. It ran in and got it. Get the, Get the ball. It got everything that was asked for. It went in and got it. It associated apparently the word to the object in that room and got it and retrieved it. I mean, well, the more fascinating thing about that dog is that they specifically it understood objects matched to their labels, their semantic labels. Mm -hmm. And when they said go get the flurgen flog, and the dog had never heard of that, it would go get a toy that it had not yet been trained on, which was actually quite like that was really the fascinating part of that study. But again, how? Do we define this as an understanding of what those words mean, or do we define this as a classical conditioning through hours and hours of training that dog right. to identify those certain phonemes with that certain object? Right. Is that, is that really yeah, language? So because language, by definition, is inventive. Language is creative. And I think the interesting thing is that what we have to be cautious about when we talk about these kinds of studies and what the study authors talk about is that perhaps the dog brain is indicative of an evolutionary path that predates language. And and it's really, there's nothing special about the human brain because we see parallel features within the dog brain. And there's nothing special about the human brain that allowed us to come up with language. It was another sort of cortical convention. And I think that's where I get very grain of salty with these kinds of studies. Another thing that um, a couple skeptical authors pointed out is um, they didn't pretest for baseline left hemisphere activation. So it could just be that hearing things yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, activated that, and also it, you know, may have nothing to do with speech. It's just an elevated, you know, response to the testing protocol, and also um, there are only thirteen test subjects in this study, so we have to take it with a grain of salt, knowing that a single, when you only have thirteen subjects, a single subject can change the outcome sure. of your results, yeah, you know, dramatically. Um, but guys, we're missing the most important part of this study. How? F, did they get 13 dogs to lay in an fMRI yeah, scanner? Well, they, they, they at least understood sit still. Yeah. They understood and that. When I say sit still, I mean sit still. <laughs> yeah. Because when there were, there were some cool follow-up interviews with the trainer of these, um, uh, within this lab, because they, a lot of people apparently had a similar question, 
if a dog licks its lips, it's going to render most of this data useless because it's wow. going to move around too much to lick its lips. And so they talked about the progressive training, which took months to be able to get these dogs okay. to get in the scanner. All right, Evan. So I understand the FDA has banned antibacterial soap. Yes. Finally. Banned finally. it outright. Banned wow. it outright. A final ruling has been passed down. Now, it's been a recommendation for several... It was their final solution to this. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, okay. is, is, no. is that where we're going to go? Is that, is that where we're going? Yes. Right from their uh, release, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued the final rule establishing that over-the-counter consumer antiseptic wash products containing it's, uh, triclosan and triclocarbon can no longer be marketed. Uh, the companies will no longer be able to market antibacterial washes with these ingredients because manufacturers did not demonstrate that the ingredients are both safe for long-term daily use and more effective than plain soap and water in preventing illness and the spread of certain infections. And some manufacturers have, in fact, already started to go ahead and remove uh, these ingredients from the product. Oh, so there's no the, science the showing that an actual antibacterial agent, an antimicrobial agent in your soap is any better than just a typical soap. Right. That's right. Interesting. That's right. Uh, the mandate came down in 2013, and the FDA said, all right, companies, you have to prove to us, show us conclusively that there's a benefit here, because we know what the risks are, and we know the, 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 the harms that it is doing, and they were unable to do it. So it just seems like an obvious like slam dunk. Like, okay, doesn't work, doesn't do what you're supposed to, just stop producing that ke those chemicals and stop putting them in soaps everywhere. Yeah, and this is something we've been talking about actually for, for a long time, Bob. Yeah. I know you've been mm -hmm. uh, talking about this with people, you know, and you yourself many, many years ago stopped uh, purchasing those, those kinds of product or using it yourself. Yeah, and I mean, I'm a little confused though because my, my take on it was that we shouldn't use it because most of these bacteria are, are benign and you don't want to you don't want to get rid of them because if you get rid of the benign bacteria that, that may be on your skin, what's going to take its place? So that, that was the, the big problem for me. But, but now I'm hearing fr from them that, um, it, it wasn't doing it. it. It appears to be not be doing anything at all. I would think that, I mean, if you've got an antibiotic in this, in this soap, I would think it would be killing some bacteria, but it No, wasn't. there's a difference between not showing that they weren't asked to show that it actually kills harmful bacteria. They were asked to show that it has an outcome like an efficacy in terms of keeping you healthier, right? right? That's right, yeah. Like that it, that it is more right. effective than, than soap soaps. in preventing disease okay. or something. Uh, yeah, that's right. And yeah, it, I mean, I think an antimicrobial kills. Yeah, that's yeah. why I didn't. But microbes. so does soap. You know, just but so does soap. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. Washing, washing your hands. Washing your hands in hot water, yeah. guys. Use hot water. Like, yeah, my, that's my doctor said that one to me. I said something about anti antibacterial soap, and she goes, we don't wash our hands in water temperature that's hot enough to really do anything. You're supposed to wash your hands in water that's hot enough for you to be able to stay just hot enough to be able to stand it. Is that yeah. true? I, I mean, don't, I don't think yeah. I don't think the temperature of the water matters. It's pretty hot. I don't really. I, the one the one thing that matters the most is scrubbing time. That's time. really I mean, like the yeah. It's the, the physical mechanical scrubbing right. with soap. That's what makes the difference. Happy minutes? birthday to yeah, you. Yeah, there's no magic you know, number. It says that sometimes yeah. in the airport. Yeah, I, see the, it's, I see the two That's a good rule there. of thumb, but That's it also huge. depends on your technique. That's true. Yeah, we've talked about triclosan also in the past in regards to toothpaste. Yeah. I brought it up because it's in some toothpaste really? products. It is. Why? And that because because it does, it, that has been proven. Uh, to show a benefit in the reduction of gingivitis. Oh, so that's going that's going to remain. Uh, so triclosan is not gone entirely from our 
products. No. So what does this mean for things like, um, uh, what's it called? Not Bactine, but the green one, like green soap, like things that you, you need to wash your hands gel? with antibacterial soap in the hospital. Hibic- no, it's like a Really? Hippoclens. Yeah. Hippoclens. Like when I get a tattoo and I have an yeah. open wound, that's the only time when I use that kind of, like the more yeah. pharmaceutical feeling. Yeah, that's like more, antibi- it's more antiseptic gotcha. than antibacterial. Uh, so uh, things that are antiseptic yeah, just kill yeah. cells, you that, know. Yeah. And yeah, the, it's not. There's no specific targeting of bacteria. It's just like I always oh, say, like, like Lysol. The name Lysol means it lyses all, all right? Yeah. And lice means it <laughs> forces a cell to break apart, right? So that's why it's great for cleaning counters because you know you, you don't, don't have, have cells to, there. Yeah, <laughs> you can completely sterilize. It will In sterilize case you're trying to get away with murder. Yes. And forensic files. Yeah. Like, yeah. Nice. Audience yeah. question. Yes, sir. Hey, wait, 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 hold on. Is it true or an urban myth that antibacterial soaps help to create superbacteria? That would be a myth. (laughs) Joel, to answer your question, I heard the same thing, and I thought for a long time that, oh, yeah, if you keep using this antibacterial soap, we're going to have bacteria that's super strong because all the weak stuff got killed off, but apparently that's all BS. But that is how... That is how bacterial resistance does develop. Like, it's, it's not about the bacteria themselves. It's about their genes, Right. And it's about certain bacteria in the wild are always going to have evolved by some random mutagen an ability to live even beyond some sort of substance that's made to kill them. If you basically create an environment where there's not a lot of competition, where you allow those bacteria to thrive, you're going to see that gene moving out into the general population of bacteria more and more. That's how we see, quote unquote, superbugs Mm -hmm. developing. Because bacteria swap genes all the time. It's not just about those specific little guys living, even though that's important too. There's actually physically genetic material that's being swapped around in them a lot, which is... But I guess, so you're saying that there's not a lot of evidence that, that there's any sort of like skin bacteria that tends to. Yeah, yeah not for, not from this, the soap. Yeah. It's more the, yeah, it's more the types of bacteria that already make you quite sick that we're concerned about because it's not about this bacteria is now any more angry. It's just that now the drug doesn't work against it. And something as simple as strep, if you don't treat it, could kill you. We don't think about that, but there are basic diseases that we get all the time that are like, hey, you just take a pill. Mm-hmm. But like those diseases could kill you if they go untreated. Yeah, they can move into your brain. Going, they can, yeah, yeah, they can make you very, very staph sick. Infections are, staph infections are, yeah, always, horrible. Yeah, yeah oh gosh. I thought you said stab infections. Stab I'm like, yeah, those could be bad. bad. <laughs> yeah, you, usually, <laughs> you usually get infection from a staph. Right, exactly. Oh. All right, Jay. This will be quick, but it's very interesting. Yeah. So, so is, uh, SpaceX had a an, an accident. So uh, Facebook had a um, Facebook. Fa- yeah, but Facebook Space. had a satellite on this on this uh, on the rocket. It exploded. So we've already talked about how SpaceX and Elon Musk has the idea, like, okay, we could screw up. Like they're pushing they're pushing their technology a lot, and they're 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 trying to get it iterating very fast, so they make a lot of progress in a short amount of time. And this is really not how NASA behaves. NASA is very careful because NASA has, is usually sending people into outer space in a lot of their missions. We were talking about th- this earlier today, and we got on to the topic of well, you know, what death rate is acceptable, right? So there's going to be accidents, um, but when you put start putting people on these rockets, when SpaceX, you know, and they, they're talking about it, it's going to happen. When is enough enough, or, or what's the threshold here? So as an example, I, I took some statistics from the space shuttle. They had 833 total number of crew member in all the space shuttle missions. There was 135 space space shuttle mi- missions. 
14 astronauts were killed on two in the two accidents that took place. So I did the math real quick. 94, uh, 94.5 days equals one fatality, right? So you get 94.5 days in the, in the space shuttle missions. And you have to lose a person to get that many days in space. That's a pretty serious statistic, right? Oh my God. You know, it doesn't seem like that much time in space. Does NASA have one of those signs, you know, 120 days <laughs> <laughs> uh, space sure they do. based fatality. Yeah, so. The idea here is, you know, I'm sure that NASA is always trying to make things as safe as possible, but there is, uh, yep, it's dangerous. So that's, you know, do they have the, that safe enough? Or they just iterate the safeness as much as they can afford. You know, it's just a curious thing to think about. And like SpaceX is now getting into it. And they're, you know, I'm sure that they're thinking, you know, well, when we start sending people into outer space, let's go back to the technology that we've already tested and not put them out on the, the latest software that's driving the rockets or whatever. You know, this thing didn't, didn't even get off the launch pad. The thing blew up because it, it when I read, it was a very minor, like not leveled situation going on, and it caused it to blow up, which I seems sounds very. It was a pre-launch test. It wasn't yeah, even it was a launch. Just a yeah, test. It wasn't even a scheduled launch. They so were, again, the science worked, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, because yeah. they, well, they never would have put people in it right. during a yeah. pre-launch test. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But yeah, you think about that. So we lost two shuttles with 135 missions. That's you know, with one disaster every. 67 and a half. Yeah, 67 and a half. Yeah, but so, so that's that's terrible. Yeah, you're yeah. an astronaut. You're an astronaut getting on a space shuttle, and you're doing the math, and you're like, yeah, this is statistically, it's not, un- it's you know, uncommon, whatever, but yeah. it can happen. It's not like one in a million or sure, whatever. They know the risk. They accept that risk. These Apollo astronauts, I mean, yeah. they must have oh, gone gosh, into it saying, I worse. could die. Right. Yeah. Like doing this this sure. early. Before they had those statistics, they probably thought it's they like had I, a I might die. Yeah, yeah I might die, and that's just a risk I'm willing to take. Yep. Right. Now, the other interesting thing about this, as, as we were talking about it, it occurred to us: the real danger here is just going up and down, because we have people in the space station, and there's been no fatalities. It, you know, seems to be going great. And Their uh, signs doing really well. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the yeah. real <laughs> danger with uh, with mm-hmm. air, like flying, commercial yeah. flying too, yeah. right? It's like it's taking Take off, off and landing. landing. Yeah. That's right. that's when the problems really occur. That's why it's so newsworthy when something like explodes over the Pacific or something. Yeah. It's like how did that In happen? Air, you know, right. it's, it's so something. rare. Yeah. But yeah, I mean the like, commercial airline safety record is orders of magnitude yeah. oh, gosh, that's better. God. I mean yeah. the. The probability of dying on a commercial airplane. I love well, the, the statistic. I love is more dangerous in order to ha- the airport. Yeah, in order to have a fifty-fifty chance of dying in a plane crash, oh. you would need to fly every day for five hundred years. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty damn reassuring. <laughs> and I think a big difference there is that we're talking about professional astronauts versus the general public using yeah. this as a consumer product. But eventually, that is a goal, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the goal is space tourism. Make mm-hmm. it like an airline. And there's going to be a totally different cutoff point yeah. for, for safety oh, and risk by the time we're talking about people paying yeah. to take a ride. So does that mean that mean we're not as close as we think I we think might be to... To like parabolic flights just going up Casual flying by the public into I space? Yeah, yeah but this, this rocket wasn't rated for human passengers, right? So SpaceX isn't quite there sure yet. It wasn't. But they, no, but again, they are—they're pushing it. That, yeah. That's the thing that's interesting. Right. Is but they definitely going to have to shift to the NASA model of we got to get, get this to the point where you know there's going to be a major event 
very, very rarely. Yeah. I mean, even I'm sure that was that's of course NASA's attention. NASA didn't go into the shuttle program thinking they were going to lose a couple of shuttles, you know, yeah. in, in 130 missions. Yeah, you got to be thinking. Yeah, we got to get this down to like less than one in a thousand, one in ten thousand. You know, something like really, really, really low. And that's hard, right? That's because hard. That's the things, hard. all the things that went wrong, weren't things where they were like, oh yeah, we forgot to check that. They were things well, that they never would have thought, except for the conversion, well, that weird conversion. Well, the, <laughs> the, 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 the <laughs> O-ring, <laughs> yeah. the O-ring, they absolutely the freaking knew. The guy knew. Yeah. yeah. They, that guy that's just died recently. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. scientist who, the engineer, NASA engineer who told them, guys, this is going to blow up. You know, there's yeah. a random problem here. If you try to launch in cold weather, the thing, it's going to freeze. And, it, and this is, this would be and a he, catastrophic he it, And he w- was... And like, was ridiculed. He, for he, it. No, but he actually like to to his grave. The guy was Blamed tormented himself. his whole life. Yeah. He said he yeah. didn't he didn't succeed he didn't push far in convincing right. NASA that they shouldn't launch. So that was a that was a NASA had a, a systemic problem with their quality control, and they they admit that they fixed it. Um, and then the second shuttle that blew up that was a, that was a launch problem. Even though right. it was on reentry, it was the foam breaking away and taking off a tile on launch, and then that that. That you know, hole in the wing. They had know, no way to plug. They didn't yeah, have they, the material. Yeah, they, there was it. nothing they could do. They couldn't even look to see if it was if what the damage was. So they had to lump, you know land. But that blind. was like that was a hindsight problem, right? It, yeah. it wasn't something where they were like, oh, we forgot to put that on no, the no, checklist. No, no. Then, then they like fixed they it. Know. Then yeah. they, but that's the other but thing. They knew though. They knew that foam was breaking off yeah. on launch. They were just hoping it wasn't going to cause a problem. Gotcha. And then it did. Yeah. So then you know, it, I think. Don't you think that we should have? That's actually that's actually more comforting to me to think that the 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 couple of times that it happened, there were things. I mean, it's depressing. It's more depressing, but that they weren't things that we couldn't account for. They're things that we should have been accounting for. That actually bodes better for upping the the safety program. But how cool would it have been though if it happened? You know, rewind and the uh, the crew is up there and they oh, we think that we've got you know a missing tile and they had another ship something anything that could have gone up and given them like the glue that they needed to patch. They should the have hole. just had Mark Watney. Yeah. <laughs> nah. yeah, but we don't even do like even today. Like, how many emergency ships do we have? Like, isn't the answer zero? We have no way they can to get, get up they there have ships no that ships. can get them from the, the space station to Earth, like the emergency escape ships. I think that they mm. they can. But like we here in the state, like America doesn't yeah. have any ships no, to get to them to help. Well, the military's them. got that that cool little experimental mm-hmm. shuttle. Oh, that's right. Thing. Yeah, that thing's pretty cool. But you know, you need you need a rocket. It's not the ship. It's the rocket that pushes you into there. space. Is yeah. is what's not ready Damn to gravity. go on a moment's notice. All right, uh, Kara, what's the word this Ooh, week? The word this week is comorbidity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a happy word. Say it's again? a comorbidity. It's um. What do you think that means, Shay? Yeah. It means it's when you and your spouse die at the same time. Interesting. What do you guys? <laughs> it, do you guys feel like what? Do, what do you think comorbidity means? Unless you know. I, I, I think, don't know. I think it goes along with death or something. Co. Right. Well, yeah. Told you. Morbid. Okay. So so comorbidity is actually just um, existing simultaneously with and often independent from another medical condition, meaning that you have two diagnoses. You have two conditions that are going to kill you. No, 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 no. Not, not just fatal. disease. Yeah. So when I first heard the word, no. I, it was in the context of patients that I worked with when I was working for a clinical neuropsychologist back in Texas when I was doing my undergrad work. And um, many of them had blindness or visual impairment and some sort of neuropsych issue. And so they had comorbid blindness and, and whatever their diagnosis was there. Um, and I couldn't get past the word when I first oh, heard right. it that it didn't. Yeah, it I was like, right. it sounds like they're, they have a dual death diagnosis. Yeah. Like there's something <laughs> yeah. And so... Yeah. 
you know, to me, comorbidity meant death. But of course, that that the real word in medicine for that would be, even though there's no word, comortality. Yeah, it's, um, it's not a real thing. Um, so. So yeah, mor- morbidity specifically refers to the state of disease. So, so well, comortality is like when you have a heart attack, then you have a car accident. <laughs> oh <laughs> no! Know, so like so, two things. So like on your cause of death, they have to. They're like both. They always they, no, <laughs> yeah. they always have to say one. I'm just saying it'd be uh, and or this. <laughs> yeah, there are there's sometimes there's things multiple that. things happen at once. Yeah, yeah. Like the guy who falls, he jumps off a bridge, and somebody shoots him on the way down. Yes, is that it's murder? Rare, but it's was that murder? That <laughs> yeah, right. What, <laughs> what killed it, him first? Wasn't that like the famous with Et Tu Brute? Like who? What's the fatal stab wound? Yeah. No. Okay. okay. No, but you um, could go to the doctor and be like, okay, I've got incurable cancer, and you know, uh, aneurysm. No, of course, right? that's comorbidity. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I'm, you know, if you have a dual diagnosis, especially in psychiatry, this has become a very popular term or psychology. If you have a dual diagnosis of like depression, anxiety, those are comorbid conditions. Yeah. Um, so, the etym- etymology of the word, which was first coined, this is very interesting to me, first coined by epidemiologist A.R. Feinstein. I feel like you're not going to believe me. Here in the U.S., he first came up with the term in the 70s and first published it. It first appeared in the literature in 1985. Wow. Yeah, very, very recent. It was very recent. But the thing yeah. is, it was before my, I went to medical school. There you go. So it's, so it's always ancient been history, history, right? Yeah. Before. <laughs> so it's obviously an amalgamation of co, meaning going, you know, along with, and morbidity, a word from the 1650s, meaning diseased. So, but the roots are the same for mortality and morbidity, mort. Right? When we think of mort, uh, old French, Latin, mort means death. Death. And so it was um, thought of in the 1650s, of course, that these diseases caused death. Like disease is a death sentence. So so that's really where the word came from. But of course, we were talking about this um, earlier off off camera. um, Camera off. Audio. Um, <laughs> doctors take part in M&M, in these M&M sessions, right? The, which are morbidity, mortality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. You morbidity guys, and mortality. So I mean, doctors, things are right? went wrong. Yeah. So, so all doctors are required. This is like a, an important part of your training, right? Yeah. It's everywhere from the residents all the way up to the attendings. And like, how often do you do it? Once a month? It depends. Depends on your, yeah. yeah. Where basically the tough ones, right? The people that were lost, the people that maybe something didn't happen the way that yeah. you might have wanted. It's how you learn from your mistakes and how you learn, not, yeah. not always from mistakes, but... Just bad outcomes. Bad outcomes. But it is, you know, and, and yeah, different contexts, different specialties, you know, are, are more brutal. I mean, like... Surgery like, m Surgeon, yeah, yeah. Surgery m and if you're like, you lose a patient and then you're a resident or something and then you you are grilled. I mean, they they will destroy you. Yeah. But the, the idea is that you're going to learn how not to make that mistake again. But sometimes it's also all going over statistics like, oh, we had three aspirations on the wards this month, meaning three patients choked and got a, a lung infection. Got to get that number down. You know, yeah. how do we do that? What are we doing everything that we can to, mm-hmm. to do that? It's very important. I do want to point out, though, you know, that the strict definition you gave, while true, it's not how we typically use the word in practice. Oh, let me see. And what I had said specifically was existing simultaneously with and often independent from another medical condition. Yeah, So right. But there's no kind of point in saying you have two diseases, having a word yeah. for that. We use it when there's a relationship between the two diseases that we want to focus on. So, like, for example, I see patients with migraine who have a sleep disorder. And we say those are comorbid. It's not just that you have both at the same time. The migraines 
worse than your sleep disorder, yeah. and your sleep disorder worsens the migraines. They're, they're, they're playing off of yeah. each other. They're comorbid. So that's where we kind of use it that way, because otherwise it's, just, it's kind of it's a pointless It's term. like you have a cold and you have diabetes. Yeah. Like, who cares? But it's interesting that you said that, because <laughs> that sick in the context that, that I first yeah. heard of the yeah. word was when I was working with the clinical neuropsychologist. Like I said, he worked with these patients who were in the blind population or visually impaired population who also had neurological disorders. Very uncommon that they would have, like, retinopathy of prematurity. Yeah. And, of course, the retina, everywhere from the retina back is central nervous system. Like, we don't often think about that, but it's it's the same kind of system, right? There's so much kind of play between the brain and the visual mm-hmm. system. And The so, retina is part is really an outgrowth of the nervous system. Yeah, these are just, these are neurons yeah. in the retina, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, central ner- they, they kind of follow a lot of central nervous system rules, if, as it were. So it was not uncommon that you would have visual impairments that directly related to brain, you know, a premature baby who doesn't ever develop their the retina appropriately is also has some other things that are probably going wrong in their in their brain. So it's interesting. Okay, Evan, you are going to handle science or fiction. Yes, I am. It's time for science or fiction. Each week, Steve normally <laughs> comes up with three items. Two are true, and one. Is false, and it's up to the rogues to figure out which one is the fake. All right, there is a theme. So this, the theme, this science or fiction is the word con. Okay, because we are con. at Dragon Con. 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 Oh, that's the winner. Not Cage. Not Cage. Well, <laughs> there are several definitions of the of the word con, and I'm going to actually touch on a couple of these. With their three items. Okay, and there's three different cons in each of these. Okay, number one. According to a recent study, pornography used by married people has a greater negative impact on marriages of those considered more religious compared to less religious people. And con be- there being a greater negative impact. Con meaning negative. Number two. Infamous con man Victor Lustig, most noted for being a master counterfeiter in the early 20th century, traveled to Paris in 1925 and sold the Eiffel Tower to scrap metal dealers at a time when the tower was being seriously considered for demolition. And, of course, con artist is the one there. Number three. The subtitle of the movie Star Trek II was called The Vengeance of Khan because Star Wars' Episode Six working t- subtitle at the time was The Revenge of the Jedi. Out of deference, the Star Trek producers changed the subtitle to The Wrath of Khan. And of course, con. Con! Yes, we do. So, Ian is our guest. Oh, we're going to do poll the audience yeah. first to see who thinks we, uh, they know which one is fiction. So, we want to do it with a single clap. Okay. I'll repeat the first one again. According to a recent study, pornography used by married people has a greater negative impact on marriages of those considered more religious compared to less religious people. Can I ask for clarification on here? You can when it's your oh, turn. So <laughs> if you think number one about pornography uses the fiction, clap. One clap. If you think the second one about Victor Lustig, the con man, is the fiction, clap. And if you think the third one about the wrath of Khan is the fiction, clap. So okay. Even across yeah, the board. It's, it'll be a little <laughs> less for, for wrath a of Khan. 
Ian, you're first, so you can okay. go ahead and read and uh, I don't tell, know us, read, sorry. tell us what you think. Um, but question, when it says pornography used by married people, mm -hmm. is that meaning individually yeah, or, or used exactly. like, like I'm over here in the corner when you're sleeping or, or is it used like as a marital aid like we watch porno together? See, is there a way to clarify for that? Probably not. Pornography used by married people. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's obviously it's individual, I, yeah, I but think, it's yeah. a, but, but it's both male and female. Okay. All right. So it's not the so couple it's, watching. So it's not porn saying like as together. a marital right. age, it fails more often. Yeah. Right. Gosh, that's a tough one. Yeah. You know what? Um, I'm only because I have no idea. I'm only going to go with this for the theme. I'm going to say number three. Okay. So number three, you think the Wrath of Khan is the fiction. Yes. Okay. I actually don't think that, but I'm going <laughs> yeah, to go with that one. I have no idea. It, it, the one about pornography is interesting because you're thinking, um, I'm thinking here if it's more harmful for a religious couple, someone in a religious couple to use pornography for the marriage, you know, why would that be? And I can't make a connection in my head of why it would be worse. I mean, other than that person might having more innate guilt about it. I don't know. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm that missing something. I, you know. uh, so I don't know about that. The second one about uh, about Victor, uh, Victor Lustig um, selling the Eiffel Tower. Interesting. Uh, I'm pretty damn sure that that happened or something very similar to that happened. Um, so I'm going to think that one right out of the gate is science. And this last one about the Star Trek, Star Trek changing the title of their movie to accommodate Star Wars is basically the, the item at its essence. I love that idea. I think it's cool. I like that my two brands are mm -hmm. commingling in a nice way. Yep. <laughs> um, but I don't believe that um, it happened. I think I would have heard of that. I think I absolutely would have heard of that. So I'm going to say that one is the fiction. Okay, cons the fiction for Jay. All right, the uh, Third. the pornography yeah. one. I actually read this item, but yeah. I didn't read that detail. <laughs> so. Uh -huh. Because you didn't dig deep enough. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> you know, you know, what, I, what, I, what I read was that it's bad. Yeah, that, that, that when, you, when couples start to use pornography, it increases the risk of them getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. But I didn't read about anything to do with uh, subgroups and comparisons. So uh, I don't know if that's correct. It could be the opposite, that there's a little bit of protective effect from being religious. I don't know. Um, that, that could go either way. The one about the Eiffel Tower sounds vaguely familiar. I don't know that one, but it sound it's plausible. Probably. Yeah, the uh, I've yeah. never heard the one about the Wrath of Khan and the Vengeance of Khan. Uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting idea um, that they would do that. Um, I, I don't know if I if as with Jay, if I should say that's the fiction because I never heard of it before. That I, I could certainly see that little obscurity, you know. Bypassing my attention, I'm going to say the the one with the pornography is the fiction. I think that you flipped the detail in there. I think that's probably what happened. Mm. Tara, I was, I was leaning towards something similar to what Steve was saying because it almost seems like at its face value, like emotionally, my reaction is obviously religious people when they find out that their partner is like beating off behind closed doors, they're going to lose. That is, you see right there. Yeah, that's you're, what you're it being is. prejudiced because you, that means a guy's doing it, not a woman. <laughs> yeah. See More what she did? likely. See what she did? <laughs> you're right. You're right. Okay, we admit you're right. <laughs> what percentage is actually made for women versus made for men? Um, there's some. There's it's some. all there. Yeah, it's all there. Um, I would assume that... 
I feel like at face value, right, religious people would be more offended by that. It would be more of an like accosting their oh, marriage. You're saying more. like when the wife finds out, then it, that's what. Oh, I didn't think it seemed too terrible. <laughs> no, no, the, the other interpretation, or just is that the marriage that, is suffering. That the yeah. pornography is just a marker for the marriage yes, suffering. For the marriage that they're yeah. turning yeah. to pornography because they're not getting it in the bedroom. Yeah, that either way, that there's so there is a correlation between fail marriages failing and pornography yeah. use. Yeah. But is the question: Is there a higher correlation if and when the couples have a religious faith? I would think it would be easy to say. Obviously, because it would be more of an insult to them, because there's like something intrinsically immoral about pornography in many religions. Um, but at the same time, you mentioned this idea that it could be protective. Like maybe if it's a religious couple, they find out, they pray together, they get you know redemption for it, and then it's easier for them to get over it. Where if I was like, ah, crap, I just found out, you know, my boyfriend's jerking off every night and he's not satisfied, whatever. Although I think it can be a good marital aid. Um, uh, the other two, I literally, like, I have never heard of either of these things. Victor Lustig, sure, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Vengeance of Con... Like, I Star know Wars anything about Star Wars. <laughs> Which one is the... No, I'm kidding. Um, but let's Which see. Which is the one with the lightsabers? Yeah. <laughs> and the blaster and the face. I watched, I watched all seven of them. Good, you guys good, have so I'm going to actually GWS... Which I never get to say. I know. And I'm going to say the pornography one might be a little bit of a bait and switch. Like it's deeper than uh-huh. my gut reaction to it. Okay. Bob. Come on, Bob. I'm not going to go on. Um, but the Star Trek Rathacon thing, I think that's, I think that's right. I think I've read that. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I could be confu- I could be confusing with something else, but I bet 10 bucks on it. The Lustig one sounds sounds kind of reasonable. If they were really thinking of trashing it. Sounds ridiculous to me, but... The porn one, though, I think that sounds like it's easy to, to flip something, so I kind yeah. of agree with those guys. So I'll say porn fiction. Okay, let's see if it had an influence uh, on the audience. Uh. If you think still the pornography one is the fiction, give us a clap. If you think, Mr. Lustig, the uh, sale of the Eiffel Tower is the fiction, give us a clap. Oh. It's like a half of one clap. That was the, yeah, it was one, 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 one <laughs> And if you think The Wrath of Khan is the fiction, give us a clap. Okay, so one. one in three, certainly. Let's start with two. Infamous con man Victor Lustig, most noted for being a master counterfeiter in the early 20th century, traveled to Paris in 1925 and sold the Eiffel Tower to scrap metal dealers at a time when the tower was being seriously considered for demolition. None of the rogues or our guest thought that this one is fiction and this one is science. Yes. yes. I read that. Well, yeah, it sounds like sure did. familiar. I think I heard that at some point. He built 70 grand out of scrap metal dealers as a down payment because it, it is true. The Eiffel Tower was considered to be dilapidated for yeah. its time and really was under consideration was for for, for tearing it down. So he just convinced these people that he had some sort of authority yeah. over what yeah. happens that's, to the metal. That's exactly <laughs> that's what amazing. he. That's exactly what sure. he did. He traveled to Paris. <laughs> he brokered the metal. Yeah. yeah. And he kept it. He kept it all on the very hush hush as much as as much as possible. Obviously, and was playing them. You know, to try to you know as a secret thing so that they could he could try to give this guy the best possible deal. And he came to to an agreement with them, and they wound up giving him a payment of 20000 and another payment of $50,000 in, in about a week. And then uh, he fled. 
And then he left the country. What was the year? Uh, 1925. Oh, there's a lot, of, a money. lot of money. A lot of money back. Did they catch up with it? That's like, because the joke is, like, I got a bridge I want to sell you. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, 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 I got I a nice hotel I want to sell you. <laughs> and, and, and I was researching this. I was considering going with the uh, with the bridge one uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in its place, but I thought this one would be a little more interesting. And, um, yes, he did get away with it. Um, the people who uh, gave him the 70000 bucks. Um, did not pursue him because it, it was too embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what con artists count on. Yeah, that's sure. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's a bit. That's so a how big. do we all know about this now? Uh, because he was eventually he bragged. Yeah, he bragged. He was the Eiffel Tower. He was eventually caught in uh, in New York several years later because uh, because of his oh, counterfeiting yeah. activities, uh, and this all came out as, as a result. As he result was a hell of, of a con artist, that guy. Yeah, he yeah. was a grifter. His, his uh, real quick, his counterfeiting thing was this. It was called the money box. So what he would do is he would counterfeit hundred dollar bills and stuff a bunch in this box, and he would go on these luxury cruise ships and you know wine and dine with the wealthy people, and he'd say, here, you know, I've kind of got this thing. He'd take a real hundred bill put it in there and while the chemical processing is going on an hour later a couple of other hundred dollar bills which looked authentic would, would come out and he would repeat this over and over over the course of the trip and by the end of it he would wind up selling the money box to whomever would basically give him twenty or thirty thousand dollars, and he did this several times. He sold several money boxes they thought by in doing duplicated it. money. Yes, counterfeiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, he, he was with making <laughs> more con artists. But was he having them give him yeah, hundred dollar right. bills to put in there to test it out? Too? A real hundred dollar bill to go in, but fake ones, but replicants were were, were coming out. The guy's a genius. That he, <laughs> he had a, he had a finesse about. Him. He was known as like the dapper con man. He was he was. You know the uh, the, gen- the gentleman in, in in a sense. So he he was able to really really pull it <laughs> off. All right, let's go back to uh, let's go to number one. According to a recent study, pornography use by married people has a greater negative impact on marriages of those considered more religious compared to less religious people. And Bob and Kara and Steve, you all believe that this one is the fiction. Oh, he looks so happy! Oh no. <laughs> This one is the fiction. Yeah, it is the fiction. Steve, exactly correct. I did flip that around. Yeah. So uh, people who are less religious, it was uh, they were more apt to uh, to get to get divorced. You think that was because yeah. of the repentance result. component? I think also religious people have a stigma about getting divorced. That's too. true. Yeah, right. they're going to do more to try and avoid yeah. it. That's yeah. not nice. And by the way, religious people is defined according to this study as uh, you're religious if you attend religious services uh, once a week or more. Oh, anything that's pretty religious. anything yeah. less than that you're, yeah. was considered less than religious. And uh, overall, the increase went up, uh, doubled. Uh, you're 6% uh, for the baseline who uh, had no pornography either in the um, couple of years that they that they interviewed mm-hmm. the, the people and then a few years later they interviewed them again. If there was no pornography use, the divorce rate was 6%. But for those who started with no pornography and then introduced pornography over the couple of years and then tested them again, it doubled 12%. I see. So um, it was like an increase in the use of pornography. Yeah. yeah. Increase in the use yeah. of pornography. If they already used pornography when they yeah, got together. Yeah, it was together, baseline use, yeah. That right. means when you like, start a relationship, Start with pornography. Yes. yes. Well, <laughs> that's no, the takeaway. Really, that's what I was thinking. I was like, who doesn't look at porn? Yeah. Incorporate that's it right so from the beginning. Yeah. I'm still confused, though. Like, I really wonder if what that means, if if that means individually or together, because those are two completely different things. <laughs> I, I mean, they really are. Because I, I know, I know, pe- I know people. Oh, it is separately okay. I think this is more like pornography is an indicator that the marriage is failing, yeah. not pornography as yeah. a tool to that's help right. save yeah. a marriage. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's yeah. what I thought. That's what I thought too. Like, oh, the it's starting to fail. Let's introduce pornography to. 
oh, see I'm if never getting laid, so up, I'm just yeah. going to go jerk off every night. Yep. Anyway. Right. So that was yeah. deep in the in the article that, that yeah. was like the second to last paragraph. Right. Right. Deep it up is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Penetrate a little bit further oh, into that <laughs> Evan, the good news is he got it in the end. <laughs> At least I'm trying, Joe. Oh, God, your daughter looks trying. so mortified right now. And, of course, this means the <laughs> subtitle of the movie Star Trek II was called The Vengeance of Khan because Star Wars Episode Six working subtitle at the time was Revenge of the Jedi. Out of deference, the Star Trek producers changed the subtitle to Wrath of Khan. How did I not hear this? This is true. And I did, uh, I, I did go to several sources to re- yeah. several resources yeah, yeah. to verify that because it didn't sound right to me at first this i had never heard of this before myself wow. so but i did verify that okay. this is in fact true. Are bad so that one is science good job bob kara and steve yes. jay and ian uh, yeah. thank you for playing Next time. thank you audience you did well oh, you did a good, good, job. One, good job that was good Okay, so well, we have time for some questions, so throw some questions out at us. Wait, hang on. Okay, so with the dogs and the MRI, you're talking about training, like, spending hundreds of hours to train these dogs to sit still, and, like, with the kids, too. Why not just, like, strap them down? Like, no, is there, is there, is, yeah, is there a reason you can't just, like, you know, screw them in place or something? No, they like? are strapped down. They, so, so the dog has to, they train it to lay its head on these foam blocks, and then there's a coil, and they strap the coil to its head. But it, let's say this dog's strapped in. If he does this, his brain moves, yeah. and the data's not usable. If he does this, the data's not usable. So they he, they are strapped in, but they have to be, like, mindful and calm. To, like, they'll see water dripping down, like, from its eye or something dripping down, and he'll want to lick it, and he has, like, the presence of mind not to lick the water wow. away off That's of his face. Like, these are very well-trained so they, dogs. It's like clockwork horn screws, like, straight to their skull. Because like, even not with an MRI. trying to move would be a, would be a problem. Yeah. yeah, so, yes. Yeah. With other studies, sure. Like, you, you'll see studies with monkeys and with, with other types of paradigms where they will, like, screw them in place in order to do maybe some, like, robotic studies with limbs and things like that. But specifically with the kind of imaging technology, if you move it all, they can't get a good... Um, Read. All right, Evan, close us out with a quote. Common sense is the best distributed commodity in the world, for every man is convinced that he is well supplied with it. (laughs) (laughs) Rene Descartes. Oh, enlightenment. Yes, indeed. Well said, Renee. We overestimate our own sense of common sense. (laughs) Often. Too often. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that. Everyone thinks they're a good driver. Everyone Mm -hmm. thinks they're good in bed. And they're funny. Damn right. Everyone thinks they're funny. Right. Hilarious, right? some so of us. That's true, for sure. And most people are wrong. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys saw that incredible study that compared like Asian students to American students oh, in terms of how they felt they did on some sort of an, an exam, like what percentile they thought they were in. And it was something insane. Like all the American students thought that they were in the 90th percentile, yeah. which is physically impossible, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it's just... no. That's the Dunning-Kruger. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually not as... Um, not as severe, apparently, in Asian countries when it comes to certain types of tests. So, is it, so Dunning-Kruger has a cultural element to it? Seems like it. Well, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us in our live audience. Ian, thanks for joining us on the SGA. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. I appreciate it. Tell us where people can, uh, can see you, get your stuff. Well, if... Um you know, I have a uh, uh, an hour TV special called Critical in Thinking that you can watch on Hulu or Amazon or anywhere that you can VOD download. And then I'm taping my second one called Extraordinary in October. And um, we'll see. I can't exactly say where that's going, but it'll be 
the early 2017, that'll be available. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Great, great. Yeah. Again, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, for and until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by SGU Productions, dedicated to promoting science and critical thinking. For more information on this and other episodes, please visit our website at theskepticsguide.org, where you will find the show notes as well as links to our blogs, videos, online forum, and other content. You can send us feedback or questions to info at theskepticsguide.org. Also, please consider supporting the SGU by visiting the store page on our website, where you will find merchandise, premium content, and subscription information. Our listeners are what make SGU possible. Uh-huh.